Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. Most of us are working hard to avoid the COVID-19 virus. We wear masks, wash our hands multiple times a day. We social distance, we stay home following the guidelines and recommendations of health officials. But what is it like for those who treat the sick, those who work every day with people who have the virus? What do they see? Their perspective of the pandemic is very different than anyone else. Dr. Mukesh Bhargava is the chief of staff at Northumberland Hills Hospital. He generously took the time to share his observations and feelings about helping those fighting this brutal disease. I'm so pleased to have with me today Dr. Mukesh Bhargava, Chief of Staff at Northumberland Hills Hospital and an internal medicine specialist. Welcome to Consider This. Thank you, Robert. Thank you for having me. When did you come to know the seriousness of the pandemic a year ago? Was it a specific incident or a gradual feeling? Um, it was actually a combination, and I'll, I can uh, tell you exactly where I was, where I uh, heard that this was coming here and we, we need to be prepared. I got a text um, that we were notified that a patient who had, a person was headed our way to the emergency room with some symptoms of cough, cold, and flu who had been in Wuhan, China, and had just landed in Canada a few days prior. And this was a um, I was sitting in the cafeteria having lunch and I see that in my text that uh, this is what is going is coming our way. And uh, so that was my first in-person you know, signal, though we had all heard uh, you know, in the months, build, uh, weeks building up that something was happening, but that was my first uh, touch point. What was it that led you to understand that this virus and its potential impact on the community? So I, I must acknowledge uh, that uh, initially when it was, I thought it will be like, uh, it'll be a few weeks, few months, definitely over by summer. And boy, was I wrong. Uh, and, you know, it was, um, and I've asked this question of many people because I thought, how could I be that wrong? Um, but none of us have uh, truly lived through a pandemic and we thought it, it might just go away. But once we started to see what and started to hear um, before we saw it, there was a group of folks in Toronto who had partnered with folks, uh, physicians in Italy who were doing a podcast. And one of my colleagues, Dr. Barry, pointed us to this. And we all listened in to these guys uh, who, had, who were doing a podcast on what the situation in Italy was and what could be headed our way. And then before you know, it was uh, United States and other countries followed suit and we started to learn. And uh, 
just like what you do, I started reaching out to people in different countries of the world to, who, which were almost four to six weeks ahead of us. We uh, reached out to people in Germany, uh, England, and then uh, when it hit Canadian soil, to folks at uh, Toronto Western, we talked to them, uh, you know, uh, and it got closer and closer, like from across the Atlantic to now closer. So we learn vicariously living through uh, other people's experience, what is the magnitude and what we should be doing. Do you remember the first patient you dealt with that was infected? Yes, we do. We do. Can you share that story? So I'll try to keep it uh, while respecting privacy, um, but uh, uh, the, the person ha had a history of travel and uh, traveled to uh, China, had uh, returned and had respiratory infection. At that point, testing was not that easy. You, we were just uh, trying what is now very straightforward. Oh, you know, I'll just go get a COVID swab. It wasn't uh, that straightforward at that time. Uh, so we tested and we were like, okay, what will it, it be, uh, the test be, and uh, ended up being an outpatient that uh, did not require, but by the time the test came back, the person was better too. So that was our first experience. Our first experience in-house uh, was different because when people come see you, go wait for a test at home, different story. But the experience when we had our first patient in, uh, that was admitted to Northumberland really was uh, tricky. And it was not a, one that I treated. It was uh, one of my colleagues uh, in family practice, our hospitalist treated that. And that changes the dynamics. You know, the person is there, the food needs to go to them and, we are, and whether they'll get worse or better. And so different experience on the first inpatient. When when you're dealing with that kind of a situation, though, um, you know, there wasn't a lot of information. There, there was not a, a, as much knowledge as we have today. How, how do you as a, as a doctor navigate those waters and be able to understand, especially when you have somebody that's been obviously serious enough to be admitted and, you know, you're going through that process? Can you walk us through that? Right. So, you know, as people say that uh, there are learnings from COVID and then there are some benefits of COVID. And this is something that the whole world almost synchronously learned with each other. People started to share information uh, all around. The medical journals put all this research and science that was coming out in front of the paywall. So you did not have to have access to New England Journal of Medicine and pay for the subscription, et cetera, uh, it was out there. Hospitals started to put their protocols as a, a consortium. So um, there's a Toronto COVID collective and then there's a Massachusetts one and um, the playbook from CDC, from other resources. There, there are so many resources. I actually started tracking them on a on a personal website and I said, okay, because if somebody else needs it, I can just forward the website link. And literally they were divided into how to prepare to go into the hospital, how to protect yourself, what to do with the patient, how to discharge the patient, what to tell the patient after discharge. And I must say that the, the, the learning appetite was significant 
that and people absorbed it. There were so many meetings happening in the evening, Zoom calls, you know, or whichever virtual media platform. Uh, and people were joining in from anywhere. You could ask people, like people were very liberal and giving of their time, uh, whether they were infectious disease specialists, uh, whether they were infection control practitioners, uh, epidemiologists. So uh, really we learned from each other, we learned with each other, and we learned from each other. Uh, in the hospital, we literally created a journey map of uh, not just how the patient will travel from one ward to the other, what testing will be done, but also created standard protocols, which we call order sets, in saying, you know, if a patient comes in, if they're this sick, this is what we should be doing. So, and kept on revising it as new data came out and what was available in Canada, uh, that also factored in. So that is how we learn. You mentioned earlier that this is a very unusual circumstance that you're you're working through. How often in the past would you have gone through this kind of protocol? Uh, and how is it different this time around in terms of having to move and flow with, with something so new and, and so different from your previous experience? So I've been both fortunate and unfortunately, uh, you know, in uh, in my training experience, medical school and throughout, I've never seen anything as big as COVID-19. But I've lived through in my training in India, there were, you know, communal riots, there was the cholera epidemic, there was, uh, uh, you know, uh, these that we have dealt with, but nothing in this scale. So I can't say that, you know, how to, to be truly honest to answer this question, how is it different? There's nothing to compare of this magnitude in the past. But to answer it in spirit, I would say this time the whole world was involved in the same thing. I've never been involved in something where the whole world, everybody in the community, in the province, in the country, in the continent, all of us had one thing on mind that was how to deal with COVID. Uh, and then the ability that the internet provides, the ability that virtual conferencing, just like how you and I are talking right now, uh, really gave us that thing that we have never had before. Uh, we, we could talk to people in the UK, like real you know, people of celebrity standard, and they would give their time and we, we could uh, uh, go through our dilemmas and um, so that is what is different this time and a good difference. What has been the most serious COVID case that you faced and how did it affect you? What is the most serious COVID case? So it's, it's not a story that ends well. So, um, uh, so that, is, that is why, uh, so we had a person who, who had COVID and uh, uh, he, he would just have this trouble and uh, he had trouble breathing and he had trouble, you know, when people have COVID and they have trouble breathing, we ask them to lie on their belly. And um, he had trouble lying on his belly because uh, his joints would hurt. We tried uh, medications to suppress the joint pain so that he could lie on his belly, but he, he was the most cooperative wonderful man 
who would do, who would participate in his care, really motivated uh, and doing everything. And um, we were doing everything in our power. And one day it'll be good, one day it'll not be good, and one day it'll be good again. And then he started to get worse on us. And it was, you know, you develop an affection that, you know, they say in medicine, you should not develop a, a personal affection to people. But, you know, when you have seen somebody who's, who's helping you help the fight that much, and as you became gradually helpless, you couldn't help somebody. And you said, this is, the battle was sort of slipping. So he said, okay, what can we do? We ended up transferring him to a tertiary care. He didn't survive that, but that has been hard. And, uh, you know, and I can't divulge how he got COVID, but it was some of the things that we take for granted in life that started this. Uh, so that has affected uh, uh, me in the sense that the, the inability to to make change and to do it in solitude. These, uh, you know, for infection control purposes, the visitor restriction, uh, I think more people think that we are just restricting people from visiting their loved ones, uh, but it makes our job harder. And I know that for families, it is extremely hard uh, that not to see their folks, and especially if they don't survive, they just imagine uh, uh, just not knowing or not meeting people so, so that is what has affected us, uh, but I'm sure if I think through that, every case has been unique, every case. Um, and that is uh, like in Northumberland, the thing is we've had, the good part is we have had few cases being hospitalized, but when you get involved in the care of those patients, you remember each one of them. They are not like I've been involved in hundreds. So, oh yeah, I don't know. I don't remember. You remember each one of them. Treating patients is not a single person's job. Can you describe for people the number of staff on a team that might care for an individual in the hospital? Yeah, so I wish I could tell you an exact number, but I'll walk you through. I'll try to walk you through. So think of it, uh, if you develop symptoms uh, that you wonder you have COVID, uh, it starts with you, maybe you make a phone call to your doctor's office, to the COVID assessment clinic, or to, to somebody to get advice. So it, the ball starts rolling there and we have mapped this out of, you know, you give advice, they have a structured advice, they assess you. Um, but if you need to come in, then obviously our emergency room uh, team, our triage folks, our uh, doctors, our nurses get involved in you. Uh, the people that are also involved are the pharmacists, the, the respiratory therapists, the people who, uh, like there's a special protocol to clean the room. So our staff uh, and team members who clean the room, it is not easy. Uh, which room you will be in, if you're coughing, if you're on this kind of oxygen or that kind of oxygen, what should be the pressure in the room? So our facilities and maintenance people know exactly what the air cycle time should be in these rooms. If you need to go to the x-ray uh, department, uh, if you have COVID, how will we clean the machine after that? How will we clean the machine if you are having a procedure that requires you to swallow something? How close will that person need to sit with you? How long will they need to sit with you? So all of these training and teaming up 
happens before and we are prepared for that. Um, how, so now just imagine you come in, you see the respiratory therapist, you see the doctor, you see the nurse, you see the triage nurse. Now you go to x-ray, the x-ray person does your x-ray, they bring you back. Then every point you have touched, uh, there is a cleaning protocol. So there's our staff that will clean it, clean uh, these areas to keep it safe for the next person. Then the lab people, and uh, they, somebody has to come draw the lab, somebody has to do a swab, somebody has to do an ECG on you. So you can just keep on counting the numbers. And then you can multiply it if we run it by shift by at least a count of three, because it's not the same lab person who draws all the labs in your, uh, that you need done. In the next eight hours, it might be somebody else or next 12 hours or what have you. So it is like, there is no single person in the hospital that I would say has not been touched because of this pandemic. You know, when people say frontline workers, and I, I literally say we all are frontline. Uh, we are doing our part, our, just our line is different. You as a broadcaster it, it are on the front line spreading the message. Uh, we are, our team who might not be frontline interacting with a patient are busy planning how to keep the front line safe. Uh, the coordinate the personnel office, like how to staff if somebody calls in sick. And um, so I can go on and on and on, but I, I must say that if you have 600 staff in the hospital, 600, 700 people, almost everybody has a role to play that though we as physicians and nurses may get the biggest, the largest amount of credit from it, but we are just the, we happen to be seen up front, but uh, it, is, it is really every single person in this building that plays a role in your care. How do you stay safe when working with patients and face the possibility of becoming infected? Right, so we did have uh, our, our uh, uh, one of our physician, Dr. McGarry speak to it, that how was it treating your first patient with COVID, who happened to be uh, the, uh, the hospital's COVID, uh, first COVID patient too. And I personally have taken care of COVID patients and how do, how do you prepare? So uh, there's almost a checklist of things that we, some of us have it mentally committed, some of us have it uh, physically um, committed. Uh, the checklist was actually shared by our Toronto colleagues uh, and said what you should do. So literally it, it is from, uh, you know, you don't try to wear your watch and, you know, you decrease the number of things you have on your hand. Uh, you know, no jewelry, no nothing. Uh, you know, you literally are, I shouldn't say a jumpsuit as in the jail, but literally you, you, got, you have your scrubs on if you're going to take care of a COVID patient so that you can get rid of these clothes, not bring it, uh, them home, et cetera. But, um, and then you put on the layers of protection. So some layers that are porous, then, then you have the layer that fluid should not seep through, and then masks, whether it is the N95 mask or it is the paper suit, uh, which is literally a filtration system that you wear, and then you go in and you do your thing. And uh, when you come out, 
there's literally we have at times spotters that will help you what we call doff. So as you take things off that you are not self-contaminating and in which order you take things off. So one of the things our team did, uh, you know, Whitney Lake and uh, Dr. Bieri led this, was the training for people with uh, how to don, which meant how to wear things and how to doff things properly. Assuming that you are contaminated and things you don't want to spread the contamination. We, we rehearsed this, we played it out, but I got to tell you, Robert, when you have to really, when you are going in and it is time sensitive, yeah, there, it, it traces your heart. You do get anxious. And you say, okay, you know, I'm going to do everything possible. And you count on your team uh, that everything is there. And uh, so, and then the other change that happens is uh, you keep your, some of us keep different footwear. What do we wear in the hospital? And what do we wear back home? Uh, most of us uh, would come home and the first thing we would do is shower. And then before we interact with our family, um, some people have a different set of clothes and uh, we've heard uh, all kinds of protocols people follow personally uh, to do this. The community made us bags uh, where you could put your scrubs and that you would doff in the hospital and then you just take them and put them in your laundry machine. Uh, so one of the challenges of being on call is you take many showers. Every time you go to the hospital, you come back, you take a shower. And um, so, so that is how we prepare. Mentally, I think you, uh, you rehearse what you are going to do. Uh, the biggest challenge most of our physicians have shared is talking to somebody with a mask on, a hat on, only eyes being seen. And you are talking about, uh, would you like to be on life support or not being on life support? That is really tricky and, uh, uh, to people. They don't even know who's behind that mask and who's behind that shield to do that. Uh, so that is where the hospital has uh, what we call paper suits, which are literally have an old filtration system, but your whole face is exposed um, uh, behind a glass shield. And I, I often use that just to, to make a connection because uh, one of my best childhood friends developed COVID and he said, my worst nightmare was being so alone uh, that uh, there was not, nobody could see me. I, I had no trusted faces. So, so that is what we are trying to work on as caregivers, how we can still keep uh, the personal touch in without knowing the person in detail. Do you ever worry about getting sick? Yes. Yeah, so um, I, I asked this of Dr. Stratford the other day, we were at the, at the mass vaccination clinic. I said, how many times you have wondered that you have had COVID? I'm, I can almost guarantee most of us have at least, it has crossed our mind, oh, did I, is that a symptom of COVID that I'm having? If you cough, if you sneeze, if you feel your body aches, and you might be, what you could have easily ignored in the past as being, uh, Oh, just an ache. Oh, is this an atypical manifestation of COVID? Should I get tested? What should I do? Um, so yes, we all worry about it. Uh, getting, uh, uh, you know, is this COVID uh, if you've been there? 
As chief of staff, how do you manage the stresses, anxiety, and other factors of those under your supervision at the hospital? So I, I, I should say there are people, there's nobody under my supervision. Uh, this is a fantastic team that works independently. I see my job as chief of staff is to be an enabler and taking away the barriers for the talent pool that we have to execute their talent. Uh, and, you know, people think that uh, chiefs and leaders uh, know it all or do it all. I, I'll be the first one to acknowledge that it is, it is literally about keeping, trusting the team, trusting the team of saying they will raise concerns with the right amount of energy when it, uh, when it needs to be raised and understand. Uh, so uh, I'll tell you when you ask about how do you manage, um, I had written this down because somebody had asked it. So let me just pull. Um, uh, the first thing that I've learned is the, the art of self-awareness and the value of self-awareness and uh, the value of minimalism that, you know, trying to keep things simple, uh, not trying to complicate the protocol, not trying to do that. Uh, having a clarity of purpose, like uh, the pandemic has led us to figure out how to choose between two not so great choices. On a daily basis, we are faced with choices, not that this is option one is good and option two is not so good. We may have options that are both not good. We just got to pick which one are you going to pick, which is the lesser of the evil. Um, the third thing is that because the relationship between uh, what are people's beliefs, what are their convictions, what are their fears, that combination leads to how people will act. And that has to be recognized by any leader. So being empathetic has a whole different meaning uh, because like just in my family, uh, somebody might have their, um, you know, fear of getting COVID at nine on a one to 10 scale and the other might have at a three. And how do you balance how we will work together um, and still not, you know, label somebody, oh, you are very fearful or you're less fearful or you're brave. Uh, it is you got to be empathetic to each person. Um, the next thing um, I think what I've learned is the, the, the value of synchronicity that uh, in, in this pandemic, we have to not only do things in priority order, but we have to do it synchronously. You, you can't say, oh, I'm just going to now focus on vaccination. The, the testing part is over. The testing still needs to happen. The PPE still needs to happen and the vaccination still needs to happen. So the, the, the work increases. Um, the mindset of curiosity has helped me uh, as chief of staff, like uh, uh, being curious what other people are doing, what other countries are doing and learning from them and bringing the best to our community. Um, what else? The two other things. Uh, one, the other one is uh, collaboration. Like, uh, just look, and you, I'm sure you have hosted people on your uh, show who have done so much. 
like in, in Northumberland, people made shields, people made masks, people made things, and they collaborated with each other. They collaborated with the hospital, they collaborated with each other. Uh, people played music, people uh, did, you know, the police and the fire did their lights and sirens show. Uh, so this collaboration and motivation of each other has given me a whole different perspective. And lastly, I would say is that what I call upstreamist activities, things that you can prevent a problem from happening are much, much more valuable, but much more harder for us to convince people that it is valuable to do. Because I can't measure. Because if you say, how many COVID patients did you cure? Uh, that would be a finite metric, but how many COVID infections did we prevent from becoming COVID positive in the first place? We can't, we don't even know the number, right? So upstreamist activities are more valuable and much harder to quantify the benefit out of. But as a leader, you got to say, those are where the, your value is. Was there ever a moment where you were feeling yourself vulnerable or down or despondent and somebody turned to you and picked you up, helped you turn a corner. Yeah, uh, yeah, there are many, many such examples. I, I think uh, um, from, uh, you know, obviously everybody's immediate family, but your colleagues, your friends, your, your uh, people who you call uh, on, I would say the, the appreciation we have had, like I tell people, my front door had, uh, had literally on Christmas become the Christmas tree. People dropping cards, people dropping things, people appreciating, so that picks you up. But more importantly, like when you are on a daily basis, like if you have what I call moral distress, that you're trying to make a choice and there is no good answer. Uh, the one that I struggle with even now is how do we balance the visitation of families uh, when the loved one is in the hospital while preventing infection spread, right? And there are guidelines that you're regulated with, but then, you know, how do you do that? And so when you have these struggles, you know, I've leaned on a bunch of my colleagues to have a conversation. And often what it is, it is the perspective and the bigger picture as what you're trying to do. It is not a decision of restriction. It is a decision of preventing another person being hospitalized is what you're trying to avoid uh, and, and do that. So I think talking to people has picked me up. Of course, my wife, uh, who is a physician, Dr. Sharma, she, she has been tremendous because uh, she would tell me, yeah, today you're down. What is bothering you? What's on your mind? And you can talk freely. Um, my uh, physician leader colleagues, my senior team colleagues, and uh, my frontline colleagues, like, um, you know, there are folks, uh, there's, uh, we talk to each other and we, uh, we share our, when we are in our vulnerable moment, we'll share with them, look, I'm struggling with this. And uh, we, so that is what we do. What goes through your mind when you are out in the community and see people not following the guidelines or recommendations from health officials? 
So it did happen. Like uh, I was just walking through downtown and somebody handed me a, a paper, which was about this. And, you know, I can, I can read, I can see how somebody can be convinced. And uh, uh, we were talking to a, uh, what they call demographic scientist. She, um, she was a, her name is uh, Dr. Melinda and she is a professor at Oxford. And she talks about how, how people get influenced in their beliefs and what are they seeing in the United Kingdom. And when she said the biggest uh, group that they identified um, who, who did not want to take a vaccine up front were long-term care workers. And we were like, why would they not take a vaccine and what is going on? So in essence, the way I look at this is our, our different mediums, our social media, our internet searches, are powered to show us results based on our previous search. So if I start searching things about are um, mass really valuable and I read one article about mass may not be valuable, the other article pops up and other article uh, pops up and that actually changes how I think. Like I'm of the mindset that I have gone into a room with patients with COVID-19 and I did not get COVID-19 and I would say that is a testament to the PPE that I wore. And uh, this has been proven over and over again at the hospital, over and over at different settings that proper protection, the barrier method does protect and it makes sense. So, at this time, I can see how somebody could be convinced otherwise based on what you read. And I will only appeal to everybody, just go with an open mind that why is somebody saying that the mask works and why is somebody saying the mask doesn't work? Um, people say, oh, people touch their mask and that could be a contamination. There's no evidence of meaningful spread as long as you have a mask that may you get where uh, when you're in uh, close contact. And um, so that is, so I, as, well, as much as I will say, I hear you, but I, I don't have to agree with you that masks are not valuable. I have tons of proof and my conviction is masks help. And they, we might be wearing them even when the pandemic volumes decrease just because it gives you a sense of security uh, for a while. So. But do you ever get frustrated? No, no, I would say, you know, somebody in, in these mindfulness things, somebody said, never ever give, never ever give the privilege of, to anybody to make you upset. And, uh, and I think it might be some, somebody's teaching too. So it's, not that it makes me upset. I feel like, could I engage in a meaningful conversation with somebody like this? And I wish I had the bandwidth to engage in a meaningful conversation to understand uh, why somebody would believe that, you know, these are 
these are not effective. And uh, I personally and a bunch uh, and the, our team here believes that this thing works. So if you could deliver a message to everyone listening, what would it be? Oh, that's a, you're giving me the stage here, Robert. Uh, uh, let me think through. The message would be that um, each one of us has a role to play in this fight against virus, this virus and any other infection. And just learn what you can do. Just ask what you can do. I, I know at some point John F. Kennedy had said, don't ask what the system can do for you, ask what you can do for the country kind of thing. This is literally that same message is, yes, we can point a finger at others, but just uh, like I met Premier Ford uh, yesterday very briefly. And I, I, I literally said to him, I said, give, give us a challenge. This community will take on that challenge and solve it uh, because we are we all need to do our part we just don't need to look at somebody else what they should do so ask around what you can do uh, to help in this fight uh, rather than just say what somebody else should do dr bergava thank you so much for talking to me today thank you robert uh, thank you for what you do because uh, you know uh, i think uh, messages like this and having these conversations I hope uh, make a difference because uh, you know we all think, oh, it's one year behind the vaccine, they're rolling out, this is over. I hope everybody's right who thinks that way, uh, but don't, don't uh, let anybody let their guard down quite yet, please. And thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate all your time. I know you're a busy man and, and uh, I know you were taking a bit of a break. So uh, bless your heart for doing this. Thank you so much. You take care. Thank you. All the best. Cheers. Bye-bye. That was my interview with Dr. Mukesh Bargava, Chief of Staff at Northumberland Hills Hospital. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.